Welcome to the Infinite Worlds Podcast. Yo kids, this is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite Worlds magazine, Winston Ward. Alright, here we are for another episode of Infinite Worlds Magazine Podcast. So stoked. Alien, aliens, xenomorphs, Ellen Ripley, androids. This is a great episode. Oh my gosh, it's such a cool universe, man, isn't it? It's crazy to think about how big it is. Not just the films, but you've got novels, novelizations, comic books. Comic to- books. <clears throat> yeah, totally. But today Video we- games. Yeah, video... I- forgot about all the video games man oh my gosh okay so this episode we're gonna do uh start with a little brief history of the um of the alien universe and how the film kind of like came into being or whatever then we are gonna jump into some themes and the cool thing about the universe and all of the films is how big the themes are and one of the first themes and the most important themes is corporate greed and i thought that was just the to yeah, to think about what a social commentary every one of these films is, it really makes you appreciate, you know, after you step back from the horror or the action, it's really cool. And then we uh, you, we kind of branch off from the corporate greed and kind of like roll that theme into weapons and the arms race and the sort of the military industrial complex and um, how they kind of like kind of go hand in hand a little bit there. We spent some time talking about Ellen Ripley as a character and how great she is and, you know, how iconic. Oh, she's the best, man. She's the best. And what's so cool, what's so cool about this whole franchise is how many times Sigourney Weaver came back to bring back her character, this iconic character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of debate, which is really cool. Like, which, which sequel is the best? Is Aliens the best? is you know most people hate aliens 3 but <laughs> i loved resurrection so yeah. you know and they're all different but they're all in their own way really cool and you know especially when we go bad to we get back to uh prometheus and alien covenant the latest yeah. of the movies the prequels are you know a whole a whole nother uh page in a whole other chapter in the story of alien aliens xenomorphs so anyway uh this episode's gonna be great you guys buckle in and uh, we'll get started let's do it Yo! What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm stoked, man. I'm I'm kind of binged out on uh, on aliens, but other than that, it's been a freaking uh, it's been a great few weeks. I uh, I gotta tell you, I made a really really big decision this last uh, this last week because oh yeah oh yeah tell I'm me always, about it. I'm always trying to do something crazy, and that's kind of the mo uh-huh. for my uh-huh. life. I have decided that I am going to get a Sprinter van, and I'm going to live out of my Sprinter van. No kidding. We're going to continue to do the podcast <laughs> from your Sprinter van? Absolutely, man. It's going to be a podcast freaking machine. I'm so pumped, man. <laughs> well, this is all you're just going to so travel pumped. around? Yeah, well, just around Southern California. I'm I'm, I'm pumped, man. I'm kind of like, you know what, since... Uh, since Carson left, I'm just like, man, why in the world are we just living in? Because we still have a uh, a three bedroom, right. and it's awesome. It's a three bedroom condo, but it's two car garage, which where, is where I have my podcast studio. 
and um, but it's massive. And I'm always a minimalist. You know, there was a time when Carson was like like ten years old, where I I found an old Airstream for sale on the side of the road, one of those silver RVs, and uh, pull behinds. And so I, I brought it home and I just started gutting it. And my wife was like, "What is that? What are you doing?" And uh, but I'm like, no, man, this is going to be rad. And so I just completely remodeled it. And we lived out of that thing for like six months traveling the country. And so, man, that's awesome. My wife and I talk all the time about uh, getting a camper and doing that. My dad bought a camper, uh, but my wife or my and I just uh, we're, we're too, too. You early haven't, for you us. haven't taken the plunge days, yet, huh? I think that like being a surfer, you kind of it kind of wakes you up to the idea that, you know what, there's not much that matters outside that's outside of nature. And the more like you can be in nature, the more stoked you're going to be. I couldn't agree with that more, man. Right there. I wouldn't, there's nothing that we, that stokes me out more than just even waking up in a tent on the beach in like central the, America. The intro for uh, issue two, I talk about that a lot about uh, how, nature connects us to reality in a way that no, no, no other thing really can and being connected to reality in that way, um, really helps your imagination a lot. No, I love uh, that. I love that. And, it, and just, just kind of inspires you in, in life. Yeah. I, I've always kind of lived by, uh, by the idea that, you know, we don't own our things, but our things own, own us. And so it's like, man, it's time to just start minimizing. Do you know the naturalist John Muir? Yes, yes, but I don't know much about him. Uh, he was one of the people that helped start the National Parks Project. He was a big-time nat uh, naturalist and like a speaker about nature at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, and he's a big inspiration for me. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a really great uh, Ken Burns documentary about the National Parks, and they talk a lot about John Muir, and you get to hear a lot about him and hear a lot of his words, and it's very inspiring. And, you know, it's weird. We're here, here we are on a science fiction podcast talking about nature but i think that's i think i think that's kind of like what this podcast really is about though is more about like life but filtered through filtered through science fiction yeah you know uh and like the human experience and connecting with nature is a big part of that i think i think so too i mean we you know we talked about dune and dune is just like a, an actual it's the ecosystem of every planet figure so deeply into every part of the story it's kind of hard to say absolutely right yeah and, and and look at even or star wars our subject for today is so intertwined with this uh nature and natural selection and uh uh the life cycle and predator versus prey and uh you know, I think it's going to tie in pretty well to what we're talking about today. Uh, I'm really excited for this episode, man. Alien Aliens, uh, one of my favorite franchises ever. Uh, you know, I know you're a fan as well. Uh, you just watched some Alien movies this week, right? Dude, I watched every single Alien movie that I could get my hand. I didn't, you know what I didn't watch? I didn't watch, uh, What's that? I didn't rewatch the Predator movies. But I had watched those already. Oh, oh, you're you're you're, you're forgiven. <laughs> We're not going to discuss them here today. So if you're tuning into the podcast, hoping that this is going to be a big AVP podcast, um, go ahead and. Uh, Click off because uh, we're not getting into that today. Yeah, I was like, no, uh, those I movies don't think are all so. right. They're they're not bad. They're just not. There's not. They're they don't really strike at the heart of the alien, uh, 
lore that I like, no. you know, that it interests me, you know what I yeah. mean? They're, they're fun, but, you know, I'm not hating on them or whatever. Okay, let's start with a little history of Alien, um, and this will kind of tie back into a previous episode as well. Mm-hmm. So, so Alien began as a brainchild of the screenwriter Dan O'Bannon. And uh, Dan O'Bannon was originally hired uh, to work on Yodorowsky's Dune project that never uh, ended up lifting off uh, to do special effects work because he was a special effects guy as well. He kind of worked in Hollywood as in every doing everything. And uh, that project fell apart. But through the connections that O'Bannon had made working on that project, uh, meeting H.R. Giger and uh, Mobius and Chris Boss. Uh, he uh, ended up working up this script with his writing partner, uh, R- uh, Ron Shusset, and the two of them pieced together this uh, script that he had been working on for a really long time and pitched it to the studios and came back eventually with alien uh, after a bunch of different versions of the thing. And it's based so heavily on so many, you know, previously existing works as we keep discussing how science fiction, (laughs) uh, the pretty much every new innovation in some way borrows from something previously existing. And it takes from all of these different movies. uh, There's a comic book by EC comics from uh, 1951 called seeds of Jupiter uh that has a lot of you it, it draws a lot of inspiration from that uh from at the mountains of madness by hp lovecraft uh there's a movie called it the terror from beyond space uh planet of vampires o'bannon had been working with uh john carpenter on a film called dark star and that's where yodorowsky saw him uh, was making special effects for this movie, uh, Dark Star, which Yodorowsky saw when he was getting ready to make his Dune movie. Did you watch? Did you watch the trailer for Dark Star? By the way. Oh my gosh! Yes. Oh my! It looks <laughs> so campy and wonderful. Uh, I've actually never seen Dark Star, and I'll admit a lot of the movies I'm naming here, uh, these inspirational movies, I'm I will admit to you guys that I haven't seen most of this stuff. I'm gonna uh, urge everybody to right now pause or make a note and watch the trailer for dark star because how that ended up leading to alien i have no idea but it looks like the craziest like campy funny like comedy like crazy space movie i've ever seen a lot of people say that uh i haven't seen it i admit that dark star is uh kind of like the fun silly if alien was kind of like a fun silly movie uh and but it has a similar premise in a lot of respects uh, i think in the movie dark star the bad guy is like a ball or something like some some very non-threatening <laughs> thing <laughs> um oh my gosh uh Anyway, he, uh, O'Bannon and Carpenter uh, ended up having a falling out because Carpenter didn't want to give O'Bannon writing credit, just the uh, special effects credit. And they ended up having a falling out. Wow. And O'Bannon kind of went into like a little bit of a depression because of that. And he ended up getting this call from Yodorowsky. And Yodorowsky really invigorated him and really made him want to like start making movies again. So he really dug down on this script. And they kept changing around. And finally, they came up with this script. And they took it to the uh, producers and they were ready to make it. And Roger Corman almost 
he took it to Roger Corman, uh, the B film director. I don't know if you know Roger Corman movies, but they are so campy. Oh yeah. And you know, over the top. And he actually originally pitched this movie to Roger Corman and Roger Corman told him when he showed him the script, you should send, you know, you should try to get more money for this. This is a project worth making. Like, don't, if you can't get more money to make this, bring it back to me and I will make it. But Corman passed on it to see it made better that he would make it himself. Yeah, Corman, in case people don't know, is one of the most influential and important figures in all of Hollywood. He's financed very, very inexpensive movies, but I think he might have even done Easy Rider, right? Um, I think that's right, yeah. Um, But he ended up, he ended up launching just tremendous amount of. I think even Spielberg did a the Corman movie, um, but so many directors and actors started out in like very low budget Corman movies. I mean, that's he's he's a figure for sure. Okay, so okay, go so ahead. Uh, O'Bannon uh, does eventually find producers and they they find he they find a studio, and he comes and he's like, "This is what I want it to be like." And he shows them H.R. Giger's drawings, and this is the designs they want. And they say, no way. That's way too gross and scary. There's no way we're going to produce a movie with bad guys that look like this. It looks like, uh, you know, it's too phallic. It's too uh, menacing and dark. Uh, it just people didn't know anything about it. And at the time, Walter Hill was on the helm to direct the film. And Walter Hill is one of the owners of Brandywine Productions who uh, – uh, was producing the film and he was on uh as the director but he bowed out so that he could make a vietnam movie called southern comfort which i also haven't seen uh is it is it good i i i looked it up it looked good but i just didn't get a chance to watch it oh it's so good oh that's awesome but walter hill was originally going to direct alien so it might have been a very different movie um it would have certainly been a different very, very different movie uh but he bows out, and then they get Ridley Scott in. They bring Ridley Scott in to direct the film, and Ridley Scott talks to Dan O'Bannon, and Dan O'Bannon tells him about H.R. Giger, and <laughs> Ridley Scott's like, stop the presses. This is definitely the guy that's going to do the art direction for this movie. You, all of the rest of you were overruled. And he overruled all of the producers, and he said this, if we're not doing it this way, I'm not making it. He brought him in, and uh, they ended up making alien uh and the you know the rest from that point is history so now we could start talking about the actual movie itself so now everybody's got a background a little bit little bit of history there yeah it's amazing how how important geiger's work is to alien i almost think that he might be the most at least that i'm aware of one of the most important you know as far as input on art direction that i've ever seen because just like you said if you didn't have him there there is no alien. There's no way to even think about this movie. Like the absolutely no way. We know that there were a lot of changes made on Star Wars from just the original script and him and Lucas working with art directors, but nothing like what happened with Alien. Nothing. Absolutely not. I mean, he his vision of the aliens, of the eggs, of uh, um, you know, pretty much the whole set, like the alien environment, the the bioorganic walls, uh, the biomechanical sort of feel to to the sets. Um, that's all him. And without that look, the iconic feel and look of Alien, would, I mean, there's no way it would be the same film. Yeah, and what's crazy is he wasn't 
he wasn't just doing like he wasn't just painting he is an artist but they actually brought him in during to do mm-hmm. to build the 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 monster to build the sets right. and he himself was involved in like hey we're going to use a an actual human skull in the building of this alien and it's it, it, it's it's incredible the uh his involvement with the movie there was a i, I saw a documentary on it which which documentary was it? I don't know. I, th- I saw it on YouTube. It's probably something like H.R. Geiger and Alien, something like that. But it was really, really... I think I might have watched a few because he was such a fascinating character, you know, where he was involved in architecture, industrial design, an artist, a painter, a... I mean, this guy was a, uh, a genius. Yeah, a very interesting guy. Absolutely. And you don't see a lot of airbrush artists become huge popular sensations like that well him and lisa frank are really like the two that i could think of yeah and it's kind of like the pole like the polar opposites of one another yeah no it's like cool man the the opposite extremes and how many how many paint how many painters like you said you know are, are actually sculpting massive you know aliens like that it's just nuts there's a great uh, there's great footage of him near the end of his life, uh, Giger. That is uh, riding around on a t- the toy trains. He has like a little train set at his big estate in uh, Switzerland. Did you watch Alien recently? Uh, yeah, dude. I watched every single one over the past like five days. I watched every single one. A few things that I really noted, not just uh, Giger and his involvement, but I think it's important, you know, when we're looking at film to understand that from a writing standpoint, Alien, at least to me, I'm not aware of many movies that did it before, at least in, in my consciousness, this was one of the first really successful monster in a box movies. And what I mean is the characters are trapped and they've got this monster and they can't get out until they deal with it. And so it creates this enormous amount of tension. And so it's like I, I loved not only the, the, the whole monster in a box thing, but just the, sl- it, the slow burn of it all. It was just like such an amazing tone. That was one of the things, one of the reasons this, the studios were so hesitant about the movie at first was that almost nothing happens for like 45 minutes of this movie. I know there's no action until the face, uh, uh, until the, um, face hugger jumps out of the egg until then nothing happens. And it's like not until 45 minutes into the movie that that happens and not nothing, you know, it's builds incredible atmosphere. It's one of the best atmosphere building movies of all time. Yeah. But at the time it wasn't quite the way movies were made. Typically there was like some sort of action, uh, at least to get something started before it gave you the uh, suspense building uh, uh, slow burn. Yeah. And this movie just starts slow burn. Slow you know, burn. Quiet of space. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by the time the thing springs out of the egg, you're ready to spring out because you're, you're, you feel as tightly wound as the face hugger was in the egg. You know what I mean? It feels like you pop out. No. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. One of my favorite things about Alien is the theme of corporate greed. Um, that's something that uh, I feel like kind of uh, this, the franchise really digs into a lot. <clears throat> so the crew of the Nostromo uh, are just doing their job, flying through space. They're just blue-collar folks going about their business and they get drawn up into this corporate espionage 
more or less, because they're rerouted to this signal to collect this alien specimen, which Wayland yutani wants to use as a weapon, or at least to have as an asset to study. And on board their ship, they've got an agent in the form of Ash, the uh, the android. And Ash uh, makes it his business to make sure that the alien ends on ends up aboard the Nostromo, and the human lives become expendable. And I really think that that's kind of an important uh, talking point for the movie about how in the future these uh, corporations will have such control that they uh, just send people out to die so that they can have access to an asset and how that's a reflection of how things are now. Yeah, and I think that's a reaction to what was happening at the time of the writing of the movie. I mean, at, at the time, that was when, you know, we went from the the 50s and 60s, you know, we had the New Deal in America, and that really was swung things back, a lot of power back towards the individuals and, and the middle class in America. And then you started to see an assault on that through the mid-70s. And once we got into the 80s, it was just the brakes were off and just every tax cut after tax cut. Yeah, and tax cut after tax cut for the wealthy and for corporations. And I think that was a real reflection of, of, of that fear. Like, oh, shit, man, what is happening? What is happening? Until, you know, back until like, what was it, 85, 86, 87, that, uh, that we had the movie Wall Street, which was just, hey, this is, look at what's happening. You know, greed is good. Greed is good. And so I think aliens were really kind of, you know, I think the writers were, were saying, you know, they were reflecting that, uh, that panic that was starting to settle into the middle class. And we're now, you know, unfortunately reaping the, uh, the just desserts of that and it, you know inequality is just compared to what it was in the 60s oh yeah reagan reaganomics mm-hmm. but i will say this though i will say this winston that what's interesting is that you know i thought about that in every movie like in alien and then aliens 2 you had paul reiser's character who uh who was just the epitome you know he was even worse because um yeah ex- exactly he was so slimy you know he was so slimy but then when we get to alien resurrection in 97 what's interesting is that was about the time that there was this backlash against um against bureaucracy and the internet is good and let's make everything kind of more free market and free market is really going to save us there was a kind of this swing that happened in the in the late 90s and so when you watch alien resurrection it's not a like the evil is not just the alien it's now a corporation i mean not a corporation but a bureaucracy it's government it's the army and so it was i was really like wow why why did they change that and i, and I think it has to do with uh how there was that swing in, in popular opinion to where people were saying you know the middle class was saying just you know, it's a guess. I don't know. I think, I think, well, I think by those movies, I think Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection uh, kind of stray away. I think besides being, you know, I think viewed as being kind of inferior movies for other reasons. I think they sort of stray away in a lot of respects from especially what I think Ridley Scott wanted to do with the movies. 
Um, Ridley Scott has now made the prequels and they brought us back around and we'll get to those in a little Mm -hmm. bit, but, uh, and I, I think they sort of stray away and I think the attitudes in them stray away as well. Uh, What I'd like to talk about is the character Ripley. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big reasons why Alien is so successful. Um, Besides all of these other, the incredible art design, besides uh, the amazing directing of Ridley Scott and then later James Cameron, uh, I think one thing that's really, really stand out is just the character of Ripley. Um, I personally view Ripley as the greatest action hero of all time. Mm. Uh, Above any action hero in any movie. And the reason I say this and of course, I'm biased. You know, I, uh, I, I'm biased. I grew up watching these movies and everything. But the reason I think she's such a successful action hero is because she faces down this danger without any preparation. In other action movies, the hero is usually well-trained. In Predator, for example, uh you know the commandos that are out in the jungle are all like you know professional badasses in terminator even uh sarah connor is taken by surprise but she's helped by uh a a man from the future kyle reese and he is you know well prepared and well trained in aliens by that time that movie or by i'm sorry in terminator 2 by the time that movie comes around uh Sarah Connor is well-trained and Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is a Terminator, you know, and this is, I name an action movie really. And that is the character is prepared. Usually Mm -hmm. is well-trained is ready for battle. But in this movie, it's not, she's just a blue collar worker, just trying to go about her business and then gets thrown into extraordinary circumstances and is a hero anyway. And I think that's something that a lot of people can, you know vibe with she's very much the every man or every woman every person uh embodied and she always seems to do the most heroic thing even when it's not the right it doesn't even when it's not the easy thing to do one of the most uh compelling things to me is there's a moment when uh they're trying to bring john hurt who's just been uh attacked by the facehugger and it's wrapped around his face they're trying to bring him back on board the nostromo and the door is locked and Ripley's on the comm and she refuses to let them in because he's got this thing attached to his face. And that's despite being ordered to do so. She's, she disobeys an order and doesn't let them in because she doesn't want the thing to. But she's actually following protocol. though. Yeah, but she's following protocol, even though she's being told not to, even though uh, the captain Dallas is saying, no, belay that open the door, but they, she refuses to doing really the right thing under intense peer pressure. And of course, uh, that doesn't matter because Ash ends up opening the door and letting it aboard anyway, uh, as he is, you know, the maniacal rogue robot trope. Yeah, of course steps in. He sure does. (laughs) Um, but it really, that character, she is so, uh, ethical in all of the different circumstances she put in, she's put in, she maintains that, that code of ethics, um, but not in a um, uh, not in a, a way that seems unrealistic either. You know what I mean? She's very believable in the role. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think that is... Yeah, she's not forced. It's not. None of the situations are forced. They're very natural. And her reactions to the situation she's put in don't seem forced either. And that's what makes Ripley such a, like a compelling character. And it's certainly one of the reasons they wanted to bring her back uh, over and over again. And um, yeah, and the fact that she's, uh, you know, a woman, a strong woman, uh, you know, that makes for compelling theater now. But at the time in 1979, uh, having the, the hero of an action movie be a woman, it was, you know, kind of unheard of. Well, Alien itself is not necessarily an action movie, but she comes back in Aliens. But Alien itself, you know, has plenty of action in it towards the second half. I love the fact that it's 1970, it's 1979, and of course, it's the middle of, you know, the sexual revolution and just almost sexploitation in so many movies. And they have her fighting, getting ready to fight in like bikini bottoms and a, a skimpy top i was like oh i forgot about that holy shit man i wonder if they would be doing something like that now if they remade this movie again uh, <laughs> we'd have to uh find out we'd have to ask uh um, ridley scott what he thinks hopefully he'd make another makes one more alien movie for us but i doubt it'll have sigourney in it unfortunately sadly Mm-mm. uh yeah, but would he do that? I don't know. Did he do it with Shaw? He kind of did it with Shaw in uh, in in Prometheus when she was pregnant, a bit. and then uh, a little bit, a little not bit. as much. It wasn't as uh, as sexploitationist. Yeah, um, I think it's even. I don't know. Would she? I, it this in that scene, it makes sense. She's getting ready to, you know. <laughs> It does make sense, but it's still one of those like, wow, they made sure to make it make sense so we can get her our star. I'm sure. I wonder how many studio executives were like, okay, but at least you have to have her in in uh, bikini bottom and a skippy top. You know what else I liked about theme wise about Sigourney Weaver and uh, and and talking about her as a hero is one of the themes that resonates that? through all of the movies is the maternal theme. And so we have this female hero, but then you've got the queen who is having the eggs. And then you've got in Aliens in the sequel, you've got uh, Ripley who's taking care of Newt. And so, uh, and, and, and that echoes all the way through Prometheus, you know, when she gets pregnant, when Shaw gets pregnant with the alien and she wants to rip it out. Um, it's fascinating how, you know, all of this is so maternal. It's not just Ripley. It's females rule the world of aliens. You know, I couldn't agree more with that, that, uh, analysis, you know, and I think another theme is the male frustration of not being able to create. Mm, I Uh, love that. And I, I think, I, I I think that that's sort of a latent plot point as well. Uh, of men's like desire to create for themselves because uh that's what Wayland is trying to do in Prometheus you know is he want, he creates David but David is not fully human and he can't really feel like he created something and he doesn't quite it doesn't quite fulfill him mm-hmm. completely yeah and then later uh, David uh uh in alien uh Revenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also creating. He's creating his own alien hybrids as well. Yeah, and it's almost yeah. That's a good point. It's almost like there's that theme of not only the maternal, but of 
playing God, right? We're creating and, yeah, and there's that exactly. frustration. We can't create, we can't create. You're right. That's really, really cool. One of my favorite scenes in um, that I that I noted in the first Alien was when Ash, when his head is decapitated, which is a trope that we see, you know, echoed in Prometheus. But there is uh, he he gives a speech and we and what he says. There's got to be a way of killing it. How how do we do it? You can't. Bullshit. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility you admire it i admire its purity a survivor and all clouded by conscience remorse delusions of morality but ash does see uh the aliens as perfect beings because they're so devoted to their role as a predator as a perfect killing and reproducing machine and he believes that that's what humans should be uh that all of our uh aspirations our dreams all of our uh philosophical quandaries are flaws and um that's a really that good is point. what separates man yeah it is and he well <laughs> thank you but i mean it is what he thinks i think he uh he believes that all of the things that we spend our time wondering about and desiring over and uh you know uh, torturing ourselves over and pontificating over are just waste of time and the only thing that matters is like he, that purity of being uh the one role that we're designed for to be a predator or to to, to reproduce and uh that reduction is a, really at the essence of what separates man from machine or man from animal uh and uh what separates alien from man as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, it's, it's interesting because those are the things, you know, the things that, that our flaws as humanity, you know, our hangups or emotional hangups and our, uh, existential questions really are what drive art though. You know, it's that, it's really that, you know, should, exactly. we, should we be just robots, you know, or, or these, the, the alien well, is should... very robotic, right? It's just got one function and of that's course, all it yeah. does. But it's a quandary. Yeah, it it's, it's a not, question. The, the alien spends its time waiting to kill or breathe, mm -hmm. and that's all. I mean, it doesn't have. It's not writing poems. <laughs> it's not wondering about the nature of the universe or wondering why it feels so sad. You know, it doesn't have time to be sad. Yeah, it's not lovesick. But, it's not you know <laughs> pondering. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And, but when you're when you look at uh, a character suggesting that that is perfect, that that is uh, uh, admirable qualities, you get to the heart of evil, you know, and uh, and the, it's fascism. Yeah, it's a really is what it amounts great to. Great point. It's, it's really what it amounts to mm. is that people should be devoid of those other characteristics of differences, of uniqueness, 
and really should be one-minded, single-functioned. And and it's really fascinating that the corporations are so interested in the animal that is like that, that is so single-purposed, that is so without these philosophical hang-ups. And uh, it's true that it seems to reflect, like, the corporate world. They don't want you to be wondering about, you know, your life. They don't want you to be uh, uh, questioning all the things that are happening around you. They don't want you to be sad. They don't want you to be uh, <laughs> uh, any of these things. You know what I mean? It's they true. just want you to perform your function. Yeah, per- show up. Show up on time. Stay late. Perform your function. Work 80 hours a week. And, uh, and go home. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's why when you see Ash and you see Paul Reiser uh, behave that way, it's so easy to see them as evil. Yeah. It's so easy for the audience to recognize you know, just inherently that what they want to do is dampen humanity. They want to uh, get away from that thing that makes us human in favor of uh, just being efficient. Yeah, it's, you, you know, know it, and, it, uh, it reminds me, I was watching, um, I was watching uh, something Elon Musk was talking about and and he, he, he had been quoted as saying, you know, you, if you want to be successful, you got to work 60, 80, 100 hours and just be dogged in your pursuit of this, this, and this. And I'm just like, man, are you fucking listening to yourself? I mean, do you think that's admirable? I mean, how is that that I'm yeah. going to go work for you and I'm going to work 100 hours a week? To How is that admirable? I mean, I don't find that. I don't find that any different than, than fascism. And it's like everybody in our society is I, like, oh, look at Elon Musk, man. He's he's pointing. We we worship that uh, at some point, you know, it's at some level. We worship that in our society. It's crazy. It's the libertarian view, you know, in a lot of respects that, you know, you just do everything yourself, be reliant on yourself and just work, 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 make the money, you know. And in, in some respects, you know, I, I get that I get being self-reliant. And I get, uh, you know, not worrying about all of the uh, uh, hang-ups to a degree. You know what I mean? And I, you, you've got to make a, you've got to make a living. Yeah. And I, I, I feel that too. But giving your life away for the pursuit of money, giving your life away the pursuit of comfort. I mean, how, how. Does that seem like a fair trade, dude? I'm going to live you know? in a, I'm going to live in a Sprinter van, bro. You don't have to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we know we know where you're at with that. We know where you're at with that for sure. Yeah, but you know, no, ahead. I was gonna say it's just a, it's fascinating that you know we talked about this with Dune. It's these great works of art which are so multi layered. Like, like this, there are so many questions that are so deep that when you think about it and you rewatch the movies again and again, you're like, I didn't pick that up. I didn't pick up that theme right there. I didn't pick that theme up right there. And I I think it's just, uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's Mm -hmm. just, that's why it's such an endearing work of art. I think that's why these films are, especially the first two are just their masterpieces and what's what's interesting is that you know you have alien which is ridley scott which is just one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever and then you have aliens the sequel which is james cameron 
which is another oh, yeah. masterpiece. How do you follow up Alien with another freaking masterpiece by James Cameron, another What's master, it? an auteur? What he did was is he just made it in a different style. Yeah. What he said was, he's like, okay, you made a thriller horror movie. I'm going to make an action movie. Yeah. And he he made one of the greatest action movies of all time. I mean, I think that's pretty universally agreed upon. Uh, he heightened all of the attributes of Ripley that you like so much. He doubled down on the uh, uh, anti-corporate philosophy of the first movie. Good point. And uh, anti and, and like not anti-military, but uh, exposing the. Uh, somewhat ridiculous ridiculousness of the military industrial complex well dude how about the um, fact you know when i watched aliens that's a great point when i watched aliens i was like you know i hadn't seen it in a long time i was like holy shit this is the blueprint for starship troopers which really did mock you know the whole military industrial you know rah 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 pick which, up a flag is like there's a great story behind that because starship troopers the novel by is, heinlein but the the Heinlein novel is serious. It's not tongue in cheek at I all. Know. He is praising. He, I mean, you know, he was that kind of guy, and he, you know, he he saw the military lifestyle as an admirable thing. And hey, listen, if you're in the military, I'm not attacking you at all in any way. My dad was in the military. I just think there's a lot of flaws with the military industrial complex as a whole. And while I understand the necessity of it, I think. As a species, we would be best to figure out a way to do without it. Or or just not devote, you know, so much of our GDP towards military just so people can get rich. People like Riser, Riser's character, and so they can just get wealthy. And if we're going to send kids to war, let's take care of them when they get back. I mean, that's the issue. I mean, there's a, there are so many facets to this issue, you know, and I... I it, it, we could do a whole episode about yeah. the military industrial complex from all the different angles. Uh, and I, um, I couldn't agree with you more <laughs> about military spending. I couldn't agree with you more about the way we treat veterans and the, uh, hypocritical way that we, uh, support veterans in, in attitude and not in financially or in any sort of you know, functional way. It's horrible. Uh, it, and and the like you said in the end, in so many ways, it's all so that yeah. Halliburton can make money. It's also that it's also that Wayland Utani can make money. And it's gotten worse. That's what's crazy about it is that this was so there was so much foresight, like you're saying, with this movie, because this is you know the military industrial complex was was massive in the 80s, but now. It's just private contractors just fleecing the frickin' go the American yeah, it's, taxpayers. It's insanity right now. Just a giant waste of our money because of this this because of this uh, the same the same thing happening. You know what I mean? Like, com I I don't s pretend to have any solutions to this problem, listeners. I don't pretend to know what to do to fix this. All I'm saying is that it is problematic and yeah I, I think anybody that doesn't work in the military industrial complex is like shaking their head yeah it's fucked up you know but anyways back to the back to the sequel i want to say one thing that i loved 
about the about aliens too where i thought cameron just killed it is i think that the end battle scene after they had gotten on the drop ship and the queen was stowed away in the landing gear I thought that was one of the best action scenes I've ever seen when she rips Bishop's body in half. So the androids ripped oh, in man. half and then Ripley so jumps into the, the exo mechanical exosuit and freaking. Oh, you you, we've got to cut in the line. We've got to cut in Ripley's line. Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> again with that how cool was that listening to that again that was so rad that she's once again echoing that maternal you know i'm mama bear and i'm gonna take care of my cub as far as new yep, exactly, you know exactly oh it's um, so cool i got something interesting for you here mm -hmm. so uh i live in atlanta uh-huh here in atlanta uh there's a video store that i frequent a lot called videodrome they're amazing they have great ownership uh, they have they rent DVDs and Blu-rays. They've got like a million movies, um, and they've been there for a couple of decades. It's one of my favorite spots to go. I go there weekly. Uh, they do a joint venture with a historic movie theater right around the corner from them called the Plaza Theater, and that's been there forever. And they have an event called Plaza Drome where they screen movies and uh, have different, you know, uh, attractions along with the movie sometimes posters and that kind of thing well uh i am co-promoting an event with them uh in april uh infinite worlds is uh in april hosting um we're going to be playing aliens james cameron's aliens and uh it's going to be cool because jeanette uh goldstein who plays Vasquez in Aliens is going to be there. No answering questions. Wow. Yeah, yeah, man. Dude, yeah, how cool is that? That's so uh, rad. And she's also in Terminator 2. She plays the foster mother, uh, who uh is on the phone. Oh yeah. With, uh, John Connor. Yeah. Uh, a very iconic role there. She's in uh, Near Dark, which is another really cool movie. A bunch of other movies as well. She's a, she's a pretty accomplished actor as well. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. So if you're in the Atlanta area, um, you should definitely come check that out. It's in April. I'm not exactly sure the date. Sorry, I couldn't get the date for you guys before we did the podcast. But just pay attention to all our social media, and we'll definitely announce it, have posters, all that stuff. You'll be made aware. Dude, that's so rad. That's going to be so cool, man. It's uh, Well, going on to – so anyways, that Aliens 2 was amazing. Aliens 3 – Dude, I could I couldn't even watch it. It was the only thing I found fascinating about Aliens 3 is that you went from one of the greatest directors, Ridley Scott, to next to one of the greatest directors, James Cameron, to Aliens 3, one of the greatest directors by far, David Fincher, mm -hmm. and it's his only bomb. Absolutely. It was so yeah. bad. <laughs> it's one of his it's one of his first movies, though. It in is his, his first defense. movie, but still. Yeah. And he's disavowed it. He said the studio just interfered sure, to sure, no sure. end. But, dude, the plot. Took advantage of a rookie director. Ooh, and the plot. But the plot is terrible, but the effects are even worse. I could not believe. It was one of the early. Ugh. It was one of the early CGI attempts. And it's it's pretty bad, man. The, the CGI alien in that movie is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Um, and that, oh, I have trouble. I have trouble watching that movie. I have trouble watching it. I've watched. I watch it occasionally because there are some things I like about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's some. There's some okay acting in it, and uh, some of the sets are okay. 
you know, I, I don't completely hate it, but yeah, I, I don't watch it as much as the, the other o- ones. That's the, for sure. the only thing that um, I found fascinating about Aliens Three is that William Gibson, who wrote uh, Neuromancer, he wrote mm-hmm. a screenplay draft mm-hmm. for Aliens Three. Oh, it's and they made an audio book out of it, a reenactment. Oh, of I know. It. I listened to it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. If you want to listen to it, anybody out there, go ahead and listen to it. So I thought that was way oh, better. I, I think it's great. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Me too, man. Me too. I thought it was really cool. Uh, if you're if you're a fan, it's cool because they the audio play they did of it. Uh, Lance Hendrickson uh, reprises his role, uh, and Michael Bean reprises his role as well. Uh, so they're both uh, Corporal Hicks and Bishop are both in the alien three in William Gibson's alien three audio play. So they just read that they do the screenplay, but it's got all different voice actors. It's got really great sound effects. Uh, um, it's got a really cool, like a much different plot than the alien three that was made. So uh, if you guys ever, have, if you have a chance, check it out. It's really cool. Really uh, dope, man. A little different. It's, it's, it's honestly different than William Gibson's other work. Like it's it's a little it feels a little different. I mean, I I don't know if he re- wrote any other screenplays besides. I'm one. sure I'm he's written sure. a, a, a lot. I'm sure he got paid to, to write a lot of screenplays, uh, man. He's on that for sure. Um, but I, you know, I so anyways, uh, Alien Three. I don't have any interest in that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there, Winston, on a limb right now, and I'm gonna tell you that I love Aliens Resurrection. I freaking love it. It's one of it's one of my favorite you know, uh, in the series, and the reason I say that is because I love how pulpy it is. It's more of a pulp kind of a like it's got these elements of almost kind of camp where it's not there's no slow burn. It's like shit just happens all the time. Ripley, just to give background, is cloned and she wakes up, I think, centuries later, right? She's woken back mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And yep. so it re- it reminded, and she's almost got like these superpowers because when she fell at the end of, she kind of sacrificed herself into a vat of um, of a fire or whatever it was. Mol- molten metal. Yeah, molten yeah, metal. Molten metal. And, but she was impregnated by an alien, you know, embryo. And it was going to come out of her chest anyways. And they wanted to bring her back to Earth, right? So they could get the... Uh, they could get the creature and make it a bioweapon and all that shit, which was kind of the, the theme of the um, or a plot point of the first two movies. So they redid that. Anyway, she sacrificed herself. She died. Then they got her DNA. And when they brought her back, the DNA had combined itself with hers. And so now she is just this badass, which is so crazy. It's so it really. And, and then and then the thematic, the tone of it and the um i loved the sets on it it really kind of reminded me of the matrix but the campiness of it reminded me of 12 monkeys yeah it was cool man well the campiness it's it's directed that you you mentioned the the first three directors but you stopped short of saying john pierre junette who made the alien resurrection and john pierre junette is no no joke as a director at all man he made city of lost children which is a terrific that's true he made he made Amelie, which is a terrific, terrific film. film. He made Del and Delicatessen. He's made he's made some darn good movies. And Alien, Alien uh, Resurrection is also written by Joss. Whedon. Yes, uh, dude, I loved it, man. I uh, thought it was. I was like, you know what? Do I like this better than the first two? Because it's so like out there and crazy, and I I just really dug it, man. Uh, 
I wouldn't go that far, but I do enjoy it. I do think it's 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 a it it definitely feels like it's definitely got a lot more camp to it. Yeah. It's definitely like a little a little uh bonkers in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, but it is fun. It's definitely fun to go revisit. Oh my sure. gosh, man, when they show her at the end on the table and she's like they they they've been doing all these genetic like Mod, like they're screwing with her DNA you find out spoiler and they've got like a one of her that's got all these birth defects and she's like try, they're trying to get the alien out of her DNA and so um and so she's not the first iteration that they've brought back they've had they failed again and again and again and so uh that was just the most campy weird crazy scene man I love that so yeah it makes sense with Josh Whedon too and the director you're right he's a, he's a auteur also and he's you know not a, quite as storied as the other ones but he's his his filmography is impressive and nonetheless um so then after that there was a pretty long lull where they made you know the alien versus predator movies where alien just appeared in those movies getting sliced in half uh but then after some time uh ridley scott decided he wanted to make some prequels uh we got prometheus uh and I'm going to go on record right now and saying that Prometheus is my favorite. It's one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. It's my favorite of the Alien series. I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it is a super underrated movie. A super underrated movie. I think a lot, it got panned a little bit, but I think it's because it's a little it's a little dense. It's a little it's a little it's a lot to unpack. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it is. It's not. It's not quite. It's not as accessible in some ways as the other ones. Um, but the theme of searching for our origins of that emptiness that mankind feels from not being able to meet its maker, to not understand its maker, to understand its purpose, and how that drives them to do all of the things that they do. Uh, I think that's a really super important theme, and I think it's something that people are a little afraid to explore yeah you know in their own lives yeah and i think that i think that's a problem i think really people should be willing to explore that without you know feeling as much anxiety as i think you imagine it would make you feel no i think that's what uh, i loved about it i love that aspect of it i love that self-inquisition what is it again i'm going to say it again what does it mean to be human that is what prometheus oh, is yeah. about what does it mean to be human and that's such an important theme in the the series as well. It's definitely the driven home. That theme is driven home in the prequels for sure. And that's why I look forward to hopefully Ridley Scott does make a third prequel because I believe uh, the third one will round it out. I believe that Alien uh, Revenant was uh, Covenant, sort of sort of a bridge movie. Uh, but to stem two more two plots together, but I think that theme of what it means to be human really is present throughout. Ash is a robot, you know what I mean. And in the first movie, in the second movie, there's a, a android, but he has empathy. Bishop and the empathetic robot, yeah. The, and so where is he distinguished from humanity? Um, and in William Gibson's Alien 3 script, script they explore uh, Bishop a lot more, which is one of the reasons I was really happy about that. He's one, he's basically the main character of that script. And um, they explore his 
humanity slash you know in humanity a lot and it was a theme leading up to the film prometheus but prometheus is specifically about that it is um you know uh it asks that question out loud and i do believe that that turns audiences off a lot because it's a challenging question you know it's a challenging idea it's a challenging idea thinking about okay it's easy to think okay i believe in this religion for example uh so and so religion once you believe in it you can be, be made comfortable because you don't think about that question anymore but if somebody challenges the reason behind that religion if somebody uh shakes your faith uh through whatever means then that question still lurks behind that oh yeah you know uh uh it's always there in the background so i'm the kind of person who thinks that it's best for your mental health to just allow that question to always be present to always be exploring that question i agree i All love time. it i love it but i think that's why i'm drawn i think that's why i'm drawn you and yeah of course we've talked about this a lot and I think that's why we're drawn to science fiction is because it gives us so many avenues to exploring that one and important number one question of existing. Well, you know, it's what's crazy what is it, 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 it just hit me that, you know, maybe in that respect, you know, science fiction is the most subversive genre of art that we have because science fiction under the veil of oh but this is just make-believe is asking those very very difficult questions that so many other genres just are refusing you know you've got thrillers and mysteries and all this shit they don't deal with that it's like science fiction is that right. one genre where it's saying no we're gonna deal with this what does it mean to be human that's all we're that's gonna all deal we're with. gonna friggin' deal with yeah that's why i kind of get upset yeah. when when there is like very when when you have sci-fi that really isn't freaking sci-fi it's like dude that's not so they put lasers yeah. and they put robots it's not sci-fi man exactly uh, it's so thin and and that it just just a popcorn film packaged as science fiction yeah uh, and you get that a lot you get that a lot and you know that you get your transformers movies or whatever <sighs> and they're you know they're they're fun or whatever you know like if if that's your thing i'm not hating i'm just saying uh i'm hating it doesn't really count to me okay that's, i mean I'm not, i don't blame you either <laughs> no, I'm not a bit. Dude, I, i'm gonna be honest with you i as a child i owned every transformer i had the transformers movie the animated movie on vhs and wore it out like i watched it so many times and i it was one of the most crushingly disappointing movie experiences of my entire life was that one. I can think of three really crushing movie experiences and I don't, I, it's hard to rank them, but we've talked about my experience with star Wars episode one, when I was 16, this, this, when I saw the Matthew Broderick's Godzilla film, uh, in 1997, I would have been about 13 or 14 then that was awful in this one and um just took it out of you huh just took the win just like just, an uppercut to the just, gut <laughs> it's just really hard when they take the soul out of the cool science fiction and they put know. you know they just make it a product you know and it really hurts well, that's probably what it happened with the hurting. that's probably what happened with the aliens 3 you know it's probably you know fincher just his first movie he really didn't have the wherewithal like scott did where ridley scott said no we're using right. geiger 
and we're, we're Giger and we're using mm -hmm. his work and he probably just didn't have the the ability to do that. He had a vision. He had a vision for what he wanted. Yeah. You know what I mean? And his vision, his vision has lasted decades. Now. Yeah. Uh, 40 years. Ridley Scott. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ridley Scott's vision. Yes. It's, it's lasted 40 years yeah. and um, it's still going. Hopefully it's still going. No, he's the man. Yeah. I, I hope they do. I haven't heard much about, uh, about, and I, I looked a little bit. I haven't heard much about them doing a third film. How does it look at this point? It's it's just still rumored, I believe, at this point. I don't think there's anything in production. No announcements yet. or anything. Been, yeah, he he said he's making it, but oh that's, shit, is the last he said he is going to make one, but that's the last one. Nah, that would be and, sick. you know just because he said that doesn't mean that. Like, I hope so. Be, a lot of other factors I, are at play. I liked Alien Covenant. I'm I'm gonna tell you. So I Prometheus being my favorite of the series. There was one thing that bummed me out more than anything in the whole damn series and I really walked away pissed off and at first I didn't like the movie because of it but I've grown to just say okay I can deal with it but there was a scene where during the scene when they woke up the engineer inside of from the pod there was an opportunity for us to learn why did you make us give us some damn answers man give come on we deserve some answers here give us something you know, and why, what was his motivation for destroying David and then killing the, the, the old man? And they didn't, the reason, I've, and I've researched this a lot because I was so pissed off about it. But the reason they didn't do that is because in the script, the backstory was that, okay, we, they were pissed off at humanity because they had seen and they were following humanity throughout our evolution after they had seeded their DNA into our world. And then we grew from that. That's the uh, the origin of the Prometheus story. That's how it starts is uh, uh, right. one of the engineers sacrificing himself in the waterfall. But anyway, so the, the, the backstory is that we were watching how warlike you were becoming and how hateful you were becoming to to each other so we sent one of our engineers to come down to earth to try and convert you and to make you a more loving species and what did you do 2000 years ago you crucified him mm. Mm. so that makes sense it's the jesus story so that's, that's it and then they yeah. they got to the that's point yeah, so they got to the point where they were like, okay, and I'm sure they filmed it. All right, we're going to reveal this to the public. And then they were just like, you know what? It's too on the nose with us saying that that's what Ridley Scott said. It's just too on the nose with us co-opting the a Jesus. Little too, a little too heavy-handed. Yeah, it's very too, too heavy-handed with the Jesus myth. And I'm just like, you motherfuckers, man. Then why didn't you rewrite the script or give us some better non-heavy-handed answer? Because I just wanted some answers. And there, it obviously was supposed to be in there, but then you got to that point and you balked. Put it in there or come up with something else, man. You know? well, that's why. That's why I hope they make the third. That's why I hope they make the third movie because I feel like it'll get. It'll be his swan song on the Alien movies if he does it, and I feel like he'll have an opportunity to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed on the fingers crossed on that. Um, okay, we're running low on time. I got one more theme. One more theme that I'd really like to work. All on. right, let's hear it. One and more that, theme to end the podcast. It's escaping self destruction. Hmm. Okay. Mm hmm. And at the end of Alien, 
there is a self-destruct sequence set on the Nostromo. And in the last part of the movie, Ripley is desperately trying to escape the Nostromo mm-hmm. and, and live. Uh, then, in Aliens, Hadley's hope is uh, about to de- be destroyed because the core is about to uh, melt down or detonate inside of it. Mm-hmm. And they have to destroy that. And I believe that this ties back in to our corporate greed uh, theme about how we're putting ourselves on a countdown. I love it. I love it. I, and, I think that's uh, awesome. That's genius. I never thought about that. And I, I think uh, that is something that the movies are trying to say is that if we continue down the path we're on, we're going to self-destruct. Oh my God. And we've already got a countdown going. And Ripley was not able to stop the countdown in Alien. She got there just too late. And I look at that as a warning sign. You know, I look at that as a, uh, a, a warning for everybody who sees the movie and all of humanity. Let's try to beat the countdown. Let's try to prevent the self-destruction. Yeah, I mean, you see that with, uh, you know, you have that that theme, you're right, that echoes throughout, not just with the rogue robots, you know, and not just with the corporate greed, but, you know, with the weapons and the bioweapons. How about David destroying the entire engineer civilization in Alien Covenant, you know? It's like, holy, what kind of weapons are, and we are on the brink. The whole watching the whole movie just for that scene. That scene is outstanding. It's amazing, and and you know we are yeah, on the it's crazy. dude. We're on the brink of. There's no question about it. On you know we we think about nuclear weapons, but you know look at this coronavirus, and you know wh- how close are we to, or, or rogue governments to engineering some type of bioweapon that just absolutely decimates ninety percent of the of our civilization. I mean those tools. For CRISPR and these genetic modifications of, of viruses, they're available to kids in their garages. I mean, I think we're on the cusp of, of, of that happening. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it's well, something that if you think about it, no, it's like, uh, oh, shit, we are kind of close to that. Oh, it's like, it's, I, I don't think of it as a conspiracy theory at all. I mean, I don't know if there's somebody in a lab right now hatching that plan, but these things happen accidentally, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, we we could end up with that being the situation just purely by accident. Yeah, and it's just because of the you know related technologies going. Yeah, on. and those technologies uh, becoming faster, cheaper, and more ubiquitous throughout the throughout society. Exactly. It's like yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh man, I cannot wait until you read Ubiquitous. Oh, oh my god, oh that's so cool, man! I gotta check it out. <laughs> we, we, you've got to read it. Okay. Um, all right, so I think that's I think that does it for this episode. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. it was a good time. Yeah, dude, that was rad, man. Um, I love it. What I love doing a deep dive into a universe that is so cool like this. That's alien, and it, it's cool because you know when we, you get an assignment where it's like, okay, we're gonna do alien, and you just dive in, dive in, and so uh, yeah, I'm stoked, man. Once again, it was so fun. Thank you. All right, guys, I think that cut does it for this episode. Um, <laughs> Guys, uh, I had a lot of fun, Nick. That was really great, man. Uh, this has been a fun topic to talk about. Uh, a little heavy sometimes, but you know. That no, that's sci-fi, man. Uh, I love it. I love, uh, once again, I'm so grateful and stoked that you uh, kind of
kind of forced me into a deep dive into such a, an awesome universe. So totally, totally stoked. Oh, yep, yep. Okay, well, you guys out there, uh, be sure to check us out online. Uh, the uh, Infinite Worlds is uh, at Infinite Worlds Magazine on Instagram. Uh, it's at IW Sci-Fi Mag on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on uh, our website. Um, buy a copy of the magazine, guys. Uh, they're limited edition. They're hand-numbered, uh, ad-free, full-color. has awesome illustrations, stories, and interviews with really cool people. Um, you can buy them online. Uh, you can find Nick at Nick the Tooth on Instagram, mainly, mainly just on Instagram, on Instagram. So get him on Instagram mm-hmm. now. He's got good stuff on there. Um, well, cool, uh, dude. Awesome time. I'll see you next. next awesome. Week, right? We're, next week. Hold on. Next week, everybody. If you want to listen, or two two weeks from now, actually, uh, and two weeks from now, we're gonna do um, Vonnegut, <sighs> right? It's gonna be awesome, man. I'm so pumped. I've been reading. Oh, man, I'm... Reading uh, so much Vonnegut, man. I'm pumped. Okay, well, yeah, we've been doing movies this whole time. It's going to be cool to get into some of the... A little bit more of the literature. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a little Yeah, and they're so accessible. If you, if you, if right, anyone well, out there hasn't read Vonnegut, I suggest you start with Slaughterhouse-Five and then go to Cat's Cradle. They'll, they'll definitely be big featured in the, uh, in the podcast. But those are great books, and you can just get right through them quick. Yeah, we'll tell you guys all about them next time. All right. Peace out, y'all. Light. Our theme song was by Christopher Whitaker, and our podcast graphics were by Sam the Man. And you can find him at monitor underscore studio on Instagram. Adios.